As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. In 1999, Mike Mayo got his butt fired in a major bank. It was a testament to all of us in the racket about independent securities analysis. The culmination of that was the Forrestal Award. John, it's the number one award at the CFA. And I can't tell you in 2013, the symbolism of Mike Mayo fired one evening for being independent, winning the top award at the CFA on ethics. This is a guy to speak to, uh, Mr. Solomon. The star analyst at Wells Fargo now, Mike Mayo, joins us. Mike, wonderful to catch up with you, sir. Let's talk about this story and the criticism around the Goldman Sachs leader. Do you get the sense this is strategic or deeply personal? Thanks for having me on, and thanks for bringing up the CFA, which is the preeminent accreditation for a financial analyst. And I actually go back to those roots to think, how should I approach the situation about the CEO of Goldman Sachs and the, you know, the differentiation between the external metrics, which are good, and potential internal metrics, which might not be so good. The issue here is uh, I'm not seeing these metrics. I don't have these internal metrics. The company said they've not had any unusual turnover in the, the partner ranks um, relative by the numbers. So I'd say, look, what it comes down to is winning cures all. Goldman's had recent performance issues. They've missed expectations two of the last three quarters. And when that happens, other issues move more to the fore. And if I were to summarize the three issues, it'd be the three fees. One is the consumer expansion. That was a debacle. Second is the cultural change. David Solomon running Goldman more like a public company, you know, almost 25 years after they went public. And the third would be his character and you know, some attacks in the press on that character. So I'll go wherever you'd like to go. Well, Mike, I want to go to what has to happen in order for the character issues to not be center stage anymore. In other words, has he lost the room to such a degree that they need to have blowout performance and growth in an area that is yet to be identified? Well, going back to the, the CFA, the, the, the basis on how I should perform my job, it is the job of a CEO to uphold the reputation of the firm. So that is important. But when we talk about upholding the reputation of the firm, we're talking about being number one in advisory for the last 20 years. We're talking about Goldman growing 
capital markets twice the pace of peers over the last you know three or so years. We're talking about reputation of the firm to their multinational companies, to governments, to their most important investors. So where it matters the most, they are upholding the reputation of the firm based on the business that they're doing. But could there be a point where there's enough upheaval that you know the the media the the, the tail wags the dog. I suppose it's possible. It's just not going to happen, well, you know, right now. Mike, you said the, the the turnover that we've seen the partner ranks hasn't been that unusual, and yet we're hearing about Lloyd Blankfein being brought back to the firm and really going after David Solomon, having some pretty strong words for him. What do you make of that? I mean, do you think that just basically there are a lot of bitter people talking to members of the media? You know what I really think is happening here? I think it's, uh, and I don't have the numbers back this up, so I'm just going to get ballpark numbers, but I think it's like, you know, traders who are earning $6 million a year who got paid down last year to $4 million a year or something like that. Uh, it just zip code wise. I mean, they, they had a blowout year in 2021. Uh, last year was a bad year for Goldman. People were paid down when they had great years. They were partly subsidizing this failed foray in consumer banking, and they're they're upset, and they're taking their and they probably go to the CEO, and the CEO, it's like, look, when has the Goldman Sachs CEO been a warm and fuzzy person? David Solomon, I mean, you have to have you know strong opinions to change your culture like he's doing while trying to generate profitability. I think a lot of people are are upset about what they're getting paid, and they're going to the press with it. Mike, you're expert on board analysis. We have a new board member, Mr. Montag, obviously uh, Goldman Sachs Timber over at Bank of America. He returns. You've got someone like David Vinier who ran the ship in 2007 under crisis. Color the board makeup and decision right now. How do you look at the Goldman Sachs board? Uh, Tom, you know, I've been a critic of bank boards, and it probably represents corporate boards. You know, more generally, I feel like they're soft. They don't really hold management accountable. Uh, they don't listen to shareholder concerns. So when I look at Goldman Sachs board, more than anything else, like any bank board, I think their push for change is probably not that much. Uh, that That's the re- reality of corporate America. And, you know, I've, I wrote my book about it, and I still see it, and I you know, there's some other banks today I'm happy to talk about where I think there's much more need for change than, than at, at Goldman Sachs. So, uh, you know, wait in, wait in line. And I do want to uh, address your Lloyd Blankfein comment. Um, you know, he Lloyd Blankfein started the push of consumer seven years ago, and he amplified. And it took up, you know, all the discussion in the room almost in, in the meetings. And now David Thomas doubled down on consumer, but it was Lloyd originally, and and Lloyd probably doesn't like to be, you know, tainted with some of these, you know, three billion dollars of losses they're getting out of, you know, the Marcus business aside from the deposits. So, um, you know, his hands aren't completely clean in this whole situation either. Mike, we've got about sixty seconds left. If we could finish by asking you a pointed question, that would be good. How would this stock respond if that headline dropped across the Bloomberg that he was out? I don't think the stock would go up. In fact, the stock might even go down. Um, so that's remember um, I called for the to have the Citigroup CEO fired um, back around after the global financial crisis, and I think the stock went up that day, and that was a good moment. And we've seen that 
uh, other places um, where the CEO goes. But if David Solomon were to be fired today, I think the stock would actually go down because it would be like, wow, you're running the company based on media reports as opposed to financial results. And by the way, when I talk to investors, investors aren't saying, oh, get rid of David Solomon. They're really asking the questions you're asking. Hey, does the media impact their performance? Um, I'd say no so far. Mm -hmm. Having said that, David Solomon has to earn his job every day. And so I can come back in three months or six months and he doesn't get the job done. I'll be on the other side. We appreciate your opinion, Mike, as always. Mike Mayo of Wells Fargo. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Sebastian Page joins us now, Head of Global Multi-Asset and CIO at T. Rowe Price. Sebastian, you can be one of the five this morning. What's behind that bond market move? Higher inflation expectations. Look, we're all seeing inflation coming down. But when I look at my one-year break-evens this morning on my Bloomberg, I see 1.56%. To me, that is too low. If I think of the risk to inflation... It's not to the downside, it's to the upside. And Jonathan, you nailed the reason. It's the commodities, oil prices being up quietly 20%. You need energy to produce goods and services. And I think sometimes we underestimate the impact on even core inflation of higher energy prices. So I'm not saying inflation's coming back to the levels we've seen you know, a year ago, a year and a half ago. But to me, I look at this and the risk is to the upside. And that's what the bond market, even in the long end, is starting to smell. Sebastian, and for radio, this is my most important chart right now. It's a Bloomberg total return chart. This is the all-in soup the nuts uh, chart as well. And, And the bottom line here is we're about ready to break down to new price weakness off the carnage of two or three uh, years ago. And I just, you know, I just don't know what to say here about price down. If we get the bond market to break down to lower prices, what does that do to equities? It's always a risk to equities because you're revaluing. And year to date, equities have rallied on the price earnings ratio and the valuation. And that is sensitive to rates. And earnings are kind of soft, down 7% year over year. So it is a risk to equities, Tom. But one thing I want to say is, this is not the time to panic about duration. If anything, now you have a better entry point. You know, in our fixed income portfolios, we have added duration this year. It is a quote unquote, and I use quotation marks, 
hedge against a real growth shock. We know that the most anticipated recession in history is becoming the most delayed recession in history, but there's pressure building in the system. So here's what we're doing in our fixed income portfolios. We're not panicking about duration right now. I think we have duration and we're pairing it with credit. I call this the mar magic barbell, but I'm getting 9% total yield out of high yield. So I like my fixed income factors to be diversified. And now you get paid. You get paid for the protection of treasuries if you get a growth shock. It won't protect you for an inflation shock, which is kind of, we're not talking about an inflation shock, but inflation pressures, which is kind of what you're seeing now. But I think you have to step back and look at what's the, 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 the greater risk right now is, yeah, sell off in stocks. Okay, well, hold on a risk. second. Let me try to make sure that I understand this. You're saying that the risk with inflation is an upside surprise, that it could reaccelerate, and yet you're leaning into duration because it's not an inflation shock. It's just an inflation grind higher. What is the difference? So we're using duration as a hedge to a growth shock. We're not going fully overweight duration. To me, the risk to inflation is three, six months, it starts speaking back up. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, if you take a six to 18 month horizon, so Lisa, it's a difference in horizon here, you do want some hedges in your portfolio. And where do you get those hedges? Right now you get them a little cheaper than uh, you have in the past. So it's nuanced, right? It's just diversifying the different risk factors. And one thing that you talked about was the commodities pressure to really fuel some of the reinflation. And this comes as we take a look at China and the potential threats there, uh, the risks to growth. If, let's say, there is a reversal in oil prices and that comes with a lot of weakness, how do you rearrange at a time where you're preferring high yield bonds over equities, where you're preferring sort of some barbell approach to really being a more conservative uh, kind of asset allocator right now? Yeah, you look at the spread for high yield, it's not particularly attractive, although if you adjust it for forecasted default risks, it's not bad, but I'm an asset allocator. I really care about the total yield. And Lisa, the comparison with the earnings yield is really advantageous, 80th, 90th percentile in favor of high yield bonds. I'm getting 9% out of high yield bonds globally, and the earnings yield is down to say 5% on stocks. That spread, right now is really advantageous. We're not forecasting a really hard landing uh, wave of defaults, even if things slow down in China, which they are. So on a relative basis, look, we always invested in stocks, but we're close to neutral right now, slightly underweight. Right. If we're gonna add to the portfolio on the risk side, might as well do it with high yield. Sebastian, very quickly, your acclaimed book, which is, folks, I can't say enough about this effort by Sebastian Bay, a page, a really sophisticated, effort. Do I want to be diversified or do I want to be more acutely focused right now? Look, I think diversification remains critically important when you're going through a regime shift, Tom, which is what we're going through. You've talked about this on the show. Gravity is back in financial markets. We have a ton of cash in the sidelines. So you don't want to go all the way to cash, right? And, and just miss the upside of stocks in the long run. I don't think you want to go all the way to stocks right now. And there are other opportunities. Look, Tom, let's just, let's just think about valuations. Okay, the tech sector is trading at a price earnings ratio of 30. So let's say you missed the rally. Do you want to chase that momentum or maybe wait to buy the dip? You actually have a third option, which speaks to diversification, which is to get in parts of the markets that have really not participated. 
quality small caps, price earnings ratio of 13. That's hard recession level. Uh, emerging market stocks, price earnings ratio at 11. We mentioned high yield bonds yields at 9%. Um, you know, so the energy sector trading at, at 12 PE ratio. So there are ways to get in the market where uh, you're not just chasing the momentum. And I saw, I call this the third option. Either you chase the momentum, wait for the dip, or take a diversified approach to your question, Tom, and get in parts of the market that haven't participated. Energy, EM, you know, very high yield, uh, upper, you know, higher yield in the high yield bond space. So there are opportunities to get in, Tom, and diversify. Sebastian, always enjoy your insights, sir. Good friend of this program, Sebastian Page there of T. Rowe Price. We are going to migrate now to an important conversation. This is our conversation of the day on foreign exchange, the litmus paper of the system. Elsa Lingos brings serious ECB and EU cred to RBC Capital Markets, global head of foreign exchange strategy. Elsa, open question right now. What is your biggest mystery in sleepy August? You're the only one in Europe working. What's your biggest mystery right now forward in foreign exchange? I think you touched on it earlier, Tom, at the top of the hour. The uncertainty around what's going on in China and part of the struggle for us as outsiders is trying to understand the reality on the ground when there's actually been a move away from sharing information um, the underlying GDP data the kind of the breakdown of components just isn't there and on top of that we just don't have the visibility onto these um, troubled developers and asset managers balance sheets. Does China bring in instability? I was talking about euro yen to 160 and through strong euro weak yen dollar yen back up towards 150. Can you see that instability out there given the events in China? And I think people are reluctant to take positions. As you kind of mentioned, it's the middle of August. A lot of investors we speak to have just shut up shop, particularly if they've had a good summer so far. They're just not seeing the opportunities out there. You know, you've got FX very much in a tight range. I mean, euro dollar to the pip is almost exactly where it was a month ago. And even when we do attempt to get breakouts, as we did earlier um, in July, it just doesn't seem to follow through. And I think people are really struggling with that dynamic at the moment. Just leaves us all looking at carry trade and selling well. Elsa, if everybody's just basically on the beach right now, does that mean when everybody comes back, you start to see more concern about the potential for contagion from China and all of the potential in financial instability in certain sectors? I think we need to see a bit more information. I mean, clearly the fact that you're seeing developers missing um, interest payments on their bonds has people concerned. But more than anything, you know, we've been in this situation, I mean, I could go back 10 years when people were panicking about the big China cliff and suddenly growth was going to collapse. And there have been people that have cried wolf one too many times. And so markets are just naturally reluctant to believe that this time it could be happening for real. What I think we're missing in order to get bigger trends is a bit of global divergence. You know, at the moment, it feels like a lot of the themes are affecting a lot of countries in a very similar fashion. If I look at developed markets in particular, whether it's the ECB or the Fed or the Bank of Canada, the RBA, they all seem to be in very similar positions. We need that to break down and diverge in order to get those trends. But aren't we seeing that in the actual data, Elsa? And I'm talking about, for example, the U.S. and Europe, Germany in particular. We are seeing that divergence. We're just not seeing it when it comes to a currency that seems to have flatlined because everyone's on vacation. I mean, it's a great question, Lisa, because even more so than the currency, what I find really perplexing is if you look ahead, you look at 2024 expectations, 
there's still this widespread consensus that the euro area is going to outperform the US. And cyclically, that doesn't doesn't seem to add up at the moment. I mean, yes, the Fed has delivered more <coughs> tightening, but the US also delivered a whole lot more fiscal stimulus. And actually, the tightening delivered by the US is not that much more than the ECB for the kind of local um, realities on the ground. So I do think eventually we will get that unexpected break lower in euro dollar. That's not the consensus. Everybody's looking for it to trade up at 113 by year end. I just think we may need to wait for the autumn for that to really start taking hold. I need to rip up the script, Elsa Lingos, and I can do this with you. There's a number of ways to look at the fiction known as the Russian ruble, dollar ruble, euro ruble, and also a basket of ruble. I'm just going to go to the headline drama, Elsa Lingos, of dollar as compared to Russian ruble through 100. I just did a log regression of it back 20 years, excuse me, back to 07. Elsa, what do I make of the newly weakened ruble? What does it signal given the lack of flows, the lack of information that we have? And it's very clear that if this is a war of attrition, that puts Russia in a weaker state vis-a-vis um, -vis the rest of the world. You know, the fact that it relies on foreign currency, hard currency, in order to buy, um, whether it's military goods and so on. Um, and then it relies on help from partners, you know, it relies on high oil prices. And we've seen oil trying to break higher, but it's not really following through. And so I do think that in terms of that war of attrition, it does all else equal, just put Russia in a slightly weaker spot. Can you read <coughs> anything in terms of capital flows? Almost certainly not. You know, it's a yeah. highly kind of controlled currency at the moment. But it's unraveling. I'm not going to say it's a Zimbabwe equivalent because it's not or, you know, even the complexities of the Turkish lira. Uh, how do they respond to it or does no one care? I don't think there is a response as such. I mean, it's it's a very different economy to even say the Turkish lira, where it's a an economy. Turkey is an economy that's dependent on commodity imports. I mean, being in a position where you're a commodity exporter does put you in a position of relative strength, and so there will always be some hard currency coming in. Um, and so, in that sense, the currency, the ruble, is less of a signal for the underlying strength or state of the Russian economy. Asselinios. Thank you. Of RBC, Capital Markets on the latest in the FX market. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash GreenFestival. Speaking of an immoderate Capitol Hill, Henrietta Trace joins now, Economic Policy Research Director of Ada Partners, who was on fire last week. We had to drag her back here this morning to talk about exactly where we are. Henrietta, it's a broad statement. Is the debt debate now the same old, same old you've heard for years? Or is there something new about our worry of our debt and our deficit? 
I had a really interesting conversation with some um, senior counsel on the Hill late last week that I would share with y'all. The conversation around the debt and a government shutdown and federal spending has obviously been with us for a couple of months now um, since the Republicans came into control of the House. And that's great. You, know, you want to see that conversation. But the tension that we see between a small faction of House Republicans and the moderate or sort of middle ground of the House caucus and certainly the Senate is so far apart that the dialogue on the Hill now is not about reducing federal spending as a way to get over this impasse that we're going to face at the end of September. It's about who can we impeach? Can we get money for the border? What do we need to do to draw attention to immigration? And it is a dialogue that is really markedly important for your exact question, because it's not about the debt. It's not about deficit spending. Um, It's about whatever they can get from a political perspective to score a win. If there are tea leaves out there, like something at a state fair, okay, fine, Iowa, name another state. Or if it's something like the vote in Ohio last week that we talked about last week, is there a point where the middle ground of the two parties put the extremes in their place and we move forward to some kind of true political discourse? You know, I don't think we're going to see that until we get into the general election and probably not if Donald Trump is at the top of the ticket on the Republican side. The opportunity for Democrats to stress the extremism of the right when it comes to abortion and the um, inability to move beyond it from the right during primary season means at least for the next six to eight months, we're going to be in these hyper-partisan camps. Um, and the issue of abortion, as you suggest, from Ohio last week is so telling. It moves not just Democratic voters to get out, but the pendulum swing that we see from Republican voters just for example, in Arizona, is a four percentage point swing of the voter base from 2016 when they elected Trump to 2020 when they elected Biden and then the 2022 midterms. That is abortion. It has moved the needle so substantially that in tight margin states like Ohio, like, uh, excuse me, not Ohio, but Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, in those states, the margin is so razor thin, but the pendulum swing that you're suggesting as they turn from partisan politics towards the moderate center is really the tell. And that's where you see the shift from Republican voters, um, independent voters, 63% of whom, or 70 even in some cases, believe that abortion should be legalized. Um, this is a voter issue that has tremendous impact in red states and blue. Ohio would be a perfect example in Kansas last year. First debate. Nine days away. Let's set the stage. Who's on it? That's a great question. Um, I don't know that Trump's going to be on it. Uh, I think that based off of how he's treating these indictments, he clearly wants to be at center stage. So it looks to me a little bit like he should be there. Um, I would recommend if I was on his campaign not to go because his next closest competitor, Ron DeSantis, is the one to beat. Um, He's at about 15 percent in the polls, which makes him far and away the front runner of the sort of second tier candidates. Everybody else is locked in sort of those low single digits. So I would say to Trump, you know, stay home if you can avoid the spotlight. Let Ron DeSantis take the last couple of hits. The potential for the Gavin Newsom, Ron DeSantis debate in uh, November 8th to be canceled if this can't 
be pulled off is something that I think is really important to watch. Um, and Lisa, to the conversation we had last week, it really opens the door for a third, uh, another candidate that maybe is not in the race right now to jump in. And that's something a lot of people are looking for. When you talk about Trump being a, a conventional candidate, he is not, as we all know, and he probably uh, isn't listening to conventional advice at a time where he stopped by the Iowa State Fair, broke with convention pretty directly. He wasn't supposed to be there. And he did this to try to basically lambast his uh, opponent, uh, Ron DeSantis, and people applauded him and they booed Ron DeSantis. How long can this playbook work where people don't need Donald Trump to flip burgers and to hold babies and to go around and shake people's hands? He can just swoop in for about an hour and basically give a stump speech, fly off, and everybody says, we like that he's unconventional. It's a TV show and he's an expert at it. I mean, it makes for excellent television. The booing gets more stories than the actual candidates, whether that's Mike Pence, Chris Christie, or Ron DeSantis. I mean, it's it, the playbook works. I would say keep doing it. Does wrapping M&M work, Henrietta? Does that help? <laughs> no, it does not. And I would like to see the polls that are uh, maybe not directed from the internet. I would love to see that for him. Uh, I, I don't give a lot of credit, credence to that candidacy. Henrietta Trice. Henrietta, thank you. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.